Nick at Night is a production of Council Communications. Check, test, test. Check, test, 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 test. Check test. Ah, there we go. Check test. Okay. Let's start this over again. Nick at Night is a production of Council Communications. Good evening, everybody. Welcome to the Nick at Night Show. I'm just having a little feedback here. Hang on. Let's do it this way. There. Now, I can't hear anything through my headphones, so I don't know 
whether I'm getting out or not. Let me get over to Facebook and I'll find out. Uh, let's see. I've got all kinds of things for you on the show tonight if I can just make sure that everything's working right. Uh, let's go to... Where are you? Hang on now. Hey, what? I'll play a commercial and I'll get this figured out. For 17 years, I've been taking my cars to Irwin's Automotion. 17 years ago, Irwin was renting space on the corner of Bank and Heron. His encyclopedic knowledge of all things mechanical and his no-bull honesty has resulted in his second move. He now operates a huge facility on Cleopatra, eight bays and an expert staff that operate all in the same wavelength. Honesty, integrity, try to save the customers some money and headaches, but fix it right the first time. Irwin's Automotion, 34... I'll make him smile. Well, I guess people can hear me, so let's get started. We have, uh, I'm expecting a call from John Robson anytime. We'll bring him on as soon as he gets here. Um, where I want to start tonight, you know, one of the things that we've had on the show or we've come up with discussion before is everybody knows how I feel about the United Nations. Well, <laughs> or if you don't know, you should know because I'm telling you, I do not like that organization in the least. I think it's one of the most corrupt and just horrible organizations on the planet. Well, uh, some of the best news I've heard all day is that, uh, let's see. Oh, yeah, well, there's that. I'm going to do this a little bit. But, uh, uh, no, that's not the one I want. Where did it go? Oh, yes, here it is. Okay. The headline is, White House seeks to cut billions in funding for the United Nations. Folks, this is the best news I have heard all day long. And I'll tell you why. The reason why is because, as I said, the UN is one of the most corrupt organizations on the planet. It does nothing well and everything poorly. It really, really sucks. Now, Donald Trump has decided that he's going to uh, really take the knife to the United Nations as far as funding is concerned and start piling it back into the United States. Uh, I saw an article earlier this week that says he's already saved $60 billion against the debt. 
which is excellent news. Now, listen to this paragraph out of the story. This is from the Financial Post, dated March 13th. There we are. Okay. Now, okay, here's the part about the cuts. The cuts would fall heaviest on UN programs like Peacekeeping, UNICEF, and the UN Development Program that are funded out of the budget of the State Department's Bureau of International Organization Affairs. It remains to be seen whether other UN agencies popular with Congress, like the World Food Program and UN Operations, which are funded out of Senate separate accounts in the U.S. Department of Agriculture and the State Department, respectively, will get hit as hard. But one source tracking the budget proposal said the Trump administration is considering cuts of up to 36% on humanitarian and aid programs. Now, the reason why they can do this and the reason why this matters is because, folks, the United States, outside of the U.N., is one of the most generous humanitarian countries in the world, without question, every time there's a national disaster or some kind of disaster on a huge scale, you find them there. If you remember back to the tsunami, there were the U.S. Navy was there within, uh, my memory tells me 48 hours. I'm not sure of that, but they were there really quickly with massive amounts of aids and assistance. Anywhere in Haiti, the same thing. If, you, if there's a national, like a, an international crisis, humanitarian aid, a natural disaster, they're one of the first groups on the scene. And they never get credit for it. They never get credit for it. Yet the UN is very selective about the humanitarian side of things. And I don't have to talk about Africa. Look at Haiti. It's still a mess down there. It's still a mess down there. When, when the Haiti earthquake took place, what was that, five years ago? Something like that. You certainly can't say that they have jumped in with both feet and just have helped put that nation back on its feet and help rebuild it. I mean, you could in five years, if you'd have taken the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, you could have scraped the whole island bare and rebuilt it from the ground up and have a modern state in that five years if you'd have taken the same amount of money and resources that the UN poured into it and got nothing for, if you'd have given it to the U.S. Army of Engineers, they could have done it in, in five years, you'd have a whole new country. They're famous for their massive projects that they, can, that they can get accomplished. And yet Haiti's still a mess because the UN isn't about, they, they pretend to be about humanitarian relief. And there's always the ongoing problem with places like Darfur. Did you know there's still a famine there? Did you know there's millions of people who die in Africa and in the Middle East every year, many of them children, from starvation? Why isn't the UN doing anything about that? Why is it they, instead of that, they fly to Canada, walk around our Aboriginal, our, our Native reserves, and tut-tut at us about how poorly we're treating the Aboriginals? I am sorry, folks, but that is not... There, there's no moral equivalency. So when I'm reading this about Trump cutting that funding, oh, it's beautiful. So the U.N. is, pack, is panicking. The U.N. is having its problems. I mean, it's, it's terrified because they know without U.S. funding, they're nothing. No other country gives them as much money and takes as much abuse as the United States does. There, there is another country that takes more abuse than the United States does, and that, of course, would be the nation-state of Israel. But 
when it comes to amount of money donated versus abuse heaped on it, nobody can touch the Americans. The UN delights in trashing them, even though they're biting the hand that feeds them. Because without that money from the United States, there would be no UN, which is exactly what I've been hoping for for years. Now, Canada should follow the lead. They won't. We won't. Because our Prime Minister is in love with the United Nations. What I'm afraid of is he's going to try to fill in some of that hole with our money. I'm sorry, I'm not interested in playing that game. I don't know about you. So when I was reading this, I thought that's just, I'm absolutely de uh, delighted. Uh, let me read to you just one more paragraph here. The U.S. officials in Washington and New York learned during the past week that they will be asked to find ways to cut spending on, obliga on obligatory and voluntary U.N. programs by 50 to 60 percent from the International Organization Affairs Bureau account. State Department officials, for instance, were told that they should try to identify up to $1 billion in cuts in the United Nations. Peacekeeping budget, according to one source, According to one source, the United States provides about $2.5 billion per year to fund peacekeepers. I can't tell you how excited I am about that. That just makes my whole day. Now, okay, so, so we have the UN panicking. I mean, they are terrified. They really, really are. What are they going to do? Well, here's what they're going to do. <laughs> they're going to take the, excuse me. They are going to take the United States and Donald Trump to court. You and to Trump, accept refugees and illegal aliens or else. Or else what? Are you going to invade with whose army? Because <laughs> guess who provides most of those guys? Here's what it says. President Trump has released his updated ban and it looks to be legally bulletproof. The state of Hawaii has filed a lawsuit against the revised they're talking about because of his travel ban is what this is all about. Okay, the state of Hawaii has filed a lawsuit against the revised Middle Eastern refugee ban, but it's unlikely to be successful. In 2015, Hawaii resettled, Hawaii resettled just five refugees, and none of them were from the six countries on the ban list. Hard to prove that Hawaii was negatively affected by the order. Now the Department of Justice is filing motions to dismiss the dozens of lawsuits against the old order. But lo and behold, a new challenger has emerged. The United Nations Human Rights Commission is meeting behind closed doors to debate whether to go after the United States for violating international law. I could just see them. What are they going to do? Oh, oh, oh we got to find a way to end these evildoers. Oh, well, Trump must be punished. We must punish Trump because he's, he's, he's throwing everything out the window. All the things that we've worked for. All the, the wiping out of, inner, of national borders so we can have one big happy family under the flag of the UN. This can't happen. Yeah, that's the kind of thing that's going on and oh but we can't get them to quit we we got to get them to stop to, to stop that we have to keep the money coming we can't what will we do it reminds me of a of a uh, mel gibson uh, mel gibson a mel brooks movie gentlemen it's from blazing saddle blazing saddles there's a line in it and i'm paraphrasing because I, I i think i remember it right but it goes gentlemen we've got to protect our phony baloney jobs and that's pretty much what's going on here all right here they come that's right they, the, there are bureaucrats in the U.N. considering suing the United States and forcing them to, re, to accept refugees and illegal aliens. And the biggest slap in the face is that this whole lawsuit is being financed with American tax dollars. 
Jordanian Prince Zaid Rad Al Hussein, the current UN High Commissioner for Human Rights, declared that the pre President Trump's policies are in breach of international law if undertaken without due process guarantees, including individual assessment. So here we have some Middle Eastern prince, some Muslim prince, telling the United States they must act against their own self-interests because if they don't, we're going to spank you. Yeah. Go ahead, kid. Give it your best shot. I can just hear Trump saying it. You go ahead and try. Take it to the Hague. See what happens. Because there's nothing going to happen in the United States, that's for sure. This whole idea is just playing crazy. That's, that's like, you know what it's like? Do you remember if you're an adult and you've got kids or you've, I think I spotted what's, there we go. Now I can hear myself because I just turned on. <laughs> Good Lord. I'm telling you, there are days. Now I just have to turn my own headset down so I don't deafen myself. There we go. Anyway, this whole thing is crazy. This whole thing is nuts. And the reason it's nuts is because you've got, you've got some little kid wagging his finger at the biggest kid on the block going, you better not, you better not, or I'm going to tell my daddy on you. Yeah, good luck. If you're a parent, like I was just saying, and you've seen, <laughs> you've seen some little kid get really angry, right? You put your hand out, <laughs> put your hand out, put it on top of their forehead, Right, and they're just wailing away, swinging like crazy, but they can't reach you. <laughs> That's the image that comes to mind: is this furious little kid, and the bigger kid holding his hand on the kid's forehead. He didn't want to hurt him. He didn't want to beat him up or anything because the little kid's being stupid. He's just letting him flail away. Oh man, yeah, sure, go ahead. Oh, by the way, I should tell you what the phone numbers are, just in case you want to call. Which is the whole point of the show, by the way is to uh, give me a call and tell me what's uh, on your mind because it doesn't have to be what I have on the topic list. There's all kinds of opportunities here for you to call. Those numbers are 343-700-4390-844-562-4766. That's 343-700-4390 or 844-562-4766. You can also... Uh, Send me a note to nick at night at cfra.com. Oh, jeez, I do that all the time. Uh, at latenightcouncil.com. Um, you can also send me a message at Facebook. I keep a, I'm keeping my eye on Facebook, so if you've got anything you want to private message me a question or a comment, feel free to do that. In other words, any way you can think of to communicate is okay with me, uh, up to and including a phone call at the numbers listed. All right, now, so <laughs> that... I am telling you, is just, <laughs> I keep thinking of this little kid. So the, the UN is going to sue the United States if they don't take refugees. And I, let me look at the timeline. I may have, I may not be right, but my gut is March 13th, that's accept the refugees. And the other one is from March 17th. Oh, no, 11th. Okay. So, no, 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 I got the wrong story. There we are. And uh, get the right story here. And the timeline on this one is the same day. <laughs> okay. Well, it's possible. I can't say for sure that the suing story, uh, you better take them refugees, um, is a result of the U.S. decision to uh, cut dramatically cut funding to the United Nations. 
But it happened on the same day, because it happened on the same day. But it is possible. I wouldn't put it past these guys. Oh, man, that's just rich. That is absolutely rich. I just love it when they do that stuff because it just points out that, you know, look, guys, really? It's like, uh, you know, Cheryl, uh, it's like um, um, Muhammad Ali, somebody stepping into the ring. You know, the guy's 40 years old. He's got pot belly, kind of looks like a pear. And he says, Ali, let's you and me go around right now. I'm angry at you, and boy, because you better not do what you said you're going to do. You better not float like no butterfly, and you better not sting like no bee. And Ollie looks at him and says, really? <laughs> really? <laughs> or Bruce Lee. Step into the ring with Bruce Lee, right? <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> or Chuck Norris. There you go. There's the example I was looking for. And Chuck Norris just looks at him and says, are you sure you want to do this? <laughs> Yeah, kid, go ahead. You want to go around, we'll go. Yeah, that's kind of like what it's what it's like. So I was ecstatic to see that. The whole idea about um about uh <laughs> the UN suing the United States, the biggest check writer in the crowd. Sure. That's uh, another way to look at it is if you have um if you have um uh, people who uh uh, are supporting you politically. And then you trash them. And they say, oh, but keep the money coming. It's kind of like the liberals, you know. It's it's funny. I got an email. I posted it on, on my Facebook page. In a nutshell, it said, look, you've only got two days left to contribute. We need every penny. You know, you, and, and they showed me <laughs> what I contributed last year. Take a guess how much that was. You're right, a great big fat goose egg. And say, uh, the minimum suggested donation is $5. You know, every penny count. Um, yeah, ain't going to happen because you've got no respect for me as a taxpayer. So why in God's name would I give you any money? Just not going to happen. You know, you, you, you call me all kinds of horrible names. Maybe not me specifically, but the, the group of people I belong to, the white Anglo-Saxon male crowd, you know, uh, just absolutely ridiculous by having... A lot of your policies and things like that. So, no, I'm not going to donate a dime to you guys. I don't believe in anything you believe in. Now, um, <laughs> I, I'm sorry. I'm doing my best. I really am to try to block that image out of my head about the whole kid being held back by Chuck Norris. <laughs> Go ahead, kid. Well, wait, let me know when you're done. Excuse me. Oh, man. Okay, so now there is an article. Um, I wrote a piece. I haven't had a chance to post it yet, and I haven't even finished. I was writing it uh, as we were getting close to showtime, and I haven't had a chance to um, actually post it um, online or on, on um, what's the word I'm looking for, on Facebook. Uh, and I'm just looking at some of the spelling errors, typing errors, because... I can spell, but I can't type. Oh, my good Lord, I'm telling you, it's terrible. Uh, my typing teacher would be proud of me because it's probably a lot better than one. You know, that was funny. I think about that now. I look back on it, and it was the worst course I ever took in high, high school from score. I remember uh, from, a, from a, you know, s how successful I was as a typist. I had 25 words a minute, and that was my mark for the year, <laughs> was 25. But you know something? That course, 
has really, I, I draw on that course all the time when I am uh, uh, try, uh, trying to um, put things down on paper using uh, either, a ma I haven't used a manual typewriter in years, but uh, when I'm using the keyboard, all the things that uh, I learned, the basic principles, have come back to really help. Uh, it's just that when I'm, I, I get going too fast when I type and I get thinking ahead of what I'm doing and I'm not paying attention, I make a lot of spelling mistakes or typing mistakes. Anyway, but the gist of it is this, um, and I'll post the, the whole thing later on. But I was driving into the city, and I'm listening to our favorite radio station. Well, um, anyway, and there was the host talking to uh, a journalist about this whole idea of populism. Now, we've talked about populism before. To me, then they tried to break it into two, two particular well, guess the host said, well, you know, there's two kinds of populism. I thought, really? And see, this is what the left does. They break things up into so many pieces that they, do, they forget that <laughs> they, they try to, uh, by breaking it up into so many pieces, they try to discredit it because there's so many moving parts, nobody could understand it all. Imagine saying that, look, I've got an engine, and that engine... Uh, isn't working very well, and I'm not getting the horsepower out of it I should, or the gas mileage out of it I should. And they say, yeah, well, there's a transmission to consider too, you know. And inside the engine you have a crankcase, and each of these, and, and in the crankcase is the crankshaft, and you've got the pistons, and all of those play a part, but you got to consider them separately because they don't do the same job as the transmission does. Yeah, we know, but together, as a whole, this is what happens. They break it down into so many little pieces, they lose focus. And I think that's done by design. So anyway, he's taking this idea of populism, and he says, you know, there's two kinds of populism. There's the good, healthy populism. Oh, yes, nobody, you know, everybody, and all that's, that's all fair. But then there's the xenophobic populism, the kind that doesn't like change and doesn't want to embrace newness and progressivism. And, and, I'm, and the other guy goes, well, yes, and we think that's what propelled Trump to victory and, and, and uh, what's going on in Europe and, and all that, this uh, xenophobic stuff is just... And I'm listening to, listening to go on talking about how, uh, you know, what's really going on, what really propelled a lot of this, these changes that they're seeing across the world was this whole idea that the people who voted for Brexit, as an example, felt left out of globalism. And they, they felt like they were being ignored and not paid attention to and left behind by globalism. And then I just, uh, if I hadn't been driving, I would have facepalmed. You know, just like, oh my God, are you, they, they are so out of touch. They have no idea. They're completely disconnected with why people voted the way they did in Brexit, voted the way they did in the United States, are voting the way they're voting, because I do not believe any of the polls in Holland about Geert Wilders, because, first of all, you, when <laughs> the polls have been significantly, dramatically wrong in the last two or three major elections in Brexit, in Euro in, in, so in Europe and in England, and now in the United States, to talk about they couldn't have been more wrong in the U.S., so now it's going on in Holland. What makes us think that the Dutch pollsters and the Dutch government people are going to get it any, any more right than they did in England or in the United States? If you were voting for Gil Gert Wilders, the head of the, um, the anti-Islamic -Islam party over there who wants to put an end to the Islamification of, of uh, the Netherlands, 
if you had just come out of the voting poll and there's a reporter who sticks a uh, microphone in your face and says, who would you vote for? Are you going to say, uh, I voted for the PPV, which is the, or the PVV, I can't remember which way it is, but for the Wilders Party, because I don't want any more Islamification of my country, knowing that even if the reporter's not a government agent, just a, uh, a, a reporter doing his job, a government agent is probably going to see it. And there's a real fear of that in Europe right now. So they're not going to tell them the truth. So what these guys don't understand is that with populism, there really is, it's what it really is, is patriotism under a new hat. Okay, they put a new hat on it. Just like when climate change, uh, when global warming didn't work, they put a new hat on it and called it climate change. Well, they're doing the same thing. Patriotism, good old-fashioned, I love my country, and I want it to continue, and I, like, I love the culture and the people and what it stands for, and I don't want foreigners coming in, messing around in our backyard, telling us we're lousy and we're horrible people, and we should feel guilty for our success, and we have to change into the third-world hellhole they just came from. That's what patriotism is. A love of country. A willingness to defend it to the death if necessary. And these clowns don't get it. They just don't get it. The reason why Brexit happened was because the English people wanted their country back. They'd been ruled from Brussels in all major facets of life. The English government didn't make laws in England of any real consequence anymore. That was all done in Brussels. That's where my, Nigel Farage got his start. It was in the Brussels house of whatever the heck it is over there. And the only redeeming value of the place was the, the opposition, the people sitting in the gallery, were not allowed to heckle or interrupt a speech. So it was a lot more civil, even though it was completely corrupt. So the English had said, enough of this. We want our own country back. We want to take control of our own destiny. We want out. And Nigel Farage led them to victory. And now they're getting ready to leave. They're starting the formal process this week. And the same thing's going to happen in Holland. In the United States, the same basic attitude. We're sick of elites telling us how to live our lives, how to, telling us how to think, what to think, what time to get up, what time to shave, what kind of car to drive, what kind of products to buy, you know, what we can do with our own land, what we can do with our money, all these things. Whether or not we can even smoke a simple cigar to a pipe or a cigarette. Just because we enjoy it. Because, oh, that the secondhand smoke, that'll kill you. Well, maybe it will, maybe it won't. But that's not the point. The point is people don't like it when th there's a limit to how much they'll put up with. And the, the progressives in, in, in the world have hit a wall. And that's what's propelling this new wave of patriotism is people want their countries back. They don't want what the elite offers. They don't want globalism. They don't want to be dictated from Brussels. They don't want their laws um, uh, litigated on in The Hague. People by nature are tribal. They want to belong to small groups that they can identify with. The largest group that people can identify with and feel like they have some kind of influence over, some kind of um, influence over, 
I think I just said that twice. They feel like they actually, what they have to say matters. Might be a better way to say it. Is the nation state. Beyond that, they feel they, they get lost in a sea of humanity. They don't want that. I don't want that. I don't think you want that. So 343-700-4390, tell me what you think. That, in a nutshell, is why the mainstream media is going to get swept away. The, well, they already have been, for the large part. Nobody trusts the mainstream media anymore. It, it, the days of Walter Crankcase, or Cronkite, sorry, uh, are gone. Remember, the, I don't know if you're old enough, uh, but when I was a kid, Walter Cronkite was the single most trusted man pretty much in the world next to the Pope. Those days are gone. Are you telling me you trust Peter Mansbridge? I'm not calling him a liar. I'm just saying that he's part of the, of the um, elite that are trying to gently coerce us into the correct way of thinking. You know, and they're pointing to all these boogeymen that don't exist. All of the alt-right and fake news, and and we can't have we you know all this social stuff. We we, we if it don't go our way, then we are going to throw a fit, and we're not going to let you have it. Did you know? As an example, let me bring it up here. That the ACLU, the American Civil Liberties Union, has launched nationwide training sessions on how to protest and resist. This comes from uh, it's out of Coral Gables, Florida. And it's dated May, Mar March 11th, so it's a few days old. Let me read to you just a couple of paragraphs out of this. The American Civil Liberties Union staged a nationwide training event Saturday to make sure people are aware of their rights as protesters and urged organized public resistance by those opposed to the policies of President Donald Trump. Excuse me. Now, what that means is... You could almost call that an act of sedition. Now, I say almost because I don't think they're calling for violence, although violence tends to follow these events. Uh, let, let me continue for the next paragraph. Organizers said the events at sports arenas on the university, uh, at a sports arena in the University of Miami campus were, were live-streamed to locations in all 50 states. ACLU Executive Director Anthony Romero said 200,000 people had signed up to attend one of an estimated 2,000 local events. The event, staged in town hall style, was aimed at capitalizing on numerous demonstrations since Trump's election in, in November and to make sure people know their rights to protest. All right, first of all, if you're an American, if you live in, I don't know what's going on there, let me dump that story before something stupid happens. Anyway, if you live in the United States, or in Canada for that matter, there's no, who doesn't know they have the right to protest? Who doesn't know that? Does, do these people think that everybody lives on a rock until they tell them otherwise? <laughs> I'm sorry, folks. It, everybody knows it's part, it's part of the deal. It's part of the way that the nation works. It's one of our founding principles, the right to protest. Now, it doesn't say protest with violence. It says protest. And yet, many of these protests, or what are called protests, are really riots, are exactly that. They're violent. And the ACLU, the American, think of the, con think of the irony of this. The American Civil Liberties Union. 
okay, one of the most communist organizations in the country. They don't believe in civil liberties unless they like them, unless they can find political advantage to, have, to put forward their agenda. The ACLU has got nothing to do with the common man. It has everything to do with putting forward a Marxist agenda. And that's what they do really, really well. Because if they weren't Marxist, why would they not say, look, guys, we fought the good fight and we lost. That's the way our democracy works. Sometimes, you, as Zig Ziglar used to say, you win some, you lose some, and some are rained out. They never admit defeat, first of all. That's the thing about the left. They never admit defeat. They will never stop. They'll go home. If, when they do get beaten, and boy, did they take a beating this last time, they do, get, they do get beaten. They go home. They lick their wounds. They study what they did wrong, and they come back smarter and tougher next time. And we, as conservatives, need to learn that lesson and to adopt that. Just because we win a battle doesn't mean the war's over. This is the kind of war that never ends. Anyway, all right, we'll take a little break. When we get back, we'll have more on the Nick at Night Show right after this. So Nick is reloading and taking a much-needed break. Not that he needs one. But maybe it's a good thing. So if you want to fire him off an email, just uh, send it to nick at latenightcouncil.com. That's simple, huh? Nick at latenightcouncil.com. Or better yet, call now. Hey, I know he can talk forever, but you know what? If you're doing talk radio, you love the calls. 343-700-4390. That's 343-700-4390 for the Capital Region. And if you can't get through on that line or you live far, far, far away, like we're talking about Alaska, 1-844-562-4766. That's 1-844-562-4766. Now, our call service is automated. You won't be talking to a live person until you're live on air. Don't sweat it. Just follow the prompts and while you're on hold, and, and you'll be fine. Now, Nick at Night 
does not exist without advertisers. So if you want to buy time, you contact either myself, JC at LateNightCouncil.com. Or you can contact Nick if you're more comfortable with him. And, of course, I certainly understand that. You can contact Nick at LateNightCouncil.com. The ads are, like, really, really cheap. I mean, you're going you're gonna to love them. Okay? You're, you're, we've, we've made them quite accessible. Feedback is always welcome. Tell us what you like. Tell us what you don't like. And thanks for tuning in. Now, back to Nick at Night. It helps if I turn the headphones on if I want to say anything. Hello. Okay, folks. The numbers are 343-700-4390-844-562-4766. You can send me an email note to nickatnight at cfra.com. <sighs> nickatnight at latenightcouncil.com. You'd, you'd think I actually worked there once, wouldn't you? Um, anyway, you can also send me a note at Facebook if you want to send me a message. Um we keep an eye on all forms of communication here, so if you want to make a comment or have uh, something you want to bring up, by all means, go right ahead. Now, I have these uh, laugh passes. I've been giving them away for the last couple of weeks. And what I'm going to do, is I'm going to expand the um, possible pool of people to draw from here. If you're listening to this on podcast, just send me a note with your, with your uh, civic address on it, your mailing address. And as I think I have one, two, three, four left, four, six. I've got about six pairs, six, so three pairs left, one, two, three, yep. Uh, the first three emails that I get uh, with the civic addresses in them, your mailing addresses in them, I will drop these in the mail with Nick and Knight in the back, and you can go to, to um, Yuck Yucks, uh, two, 292 Elgin Street, uh, downtown uh, Ottawa, for a great night out with friends and family and catch some of the best best local talent when it comes to uh, comics and that kind of thing, go on down there and tell them Nick sent you. That'll make them smile, I promise. So there's, uh, if you want to call now, the f that is, of course, if, no, if somebody doesn't want to, uh, if you want to call and claim them right now, you can do that at 343-700-4390. That way nobody's going to beat you to them. Uh, so it's up to you how you want to do it. You can either give me a call or you can send me an email note one way or the other. So I just wanted to share that with you. Now, let me ask you a question on a completely different topic. Do you think that as a society, we have gotten scared of our own shadows? And what I mean by that is that when it comes to disease and sickness, we, and I'm not going to try, I'm not sitting here trying to trivialize people's legitimate concern about becoming sick, contagious diseases, these kinds of things. Here's a story I'm talking about, and it kind of fits the mold of what I'm trying to get across. Four cases of mumps have been confirmed in Brampton and Mississauga, according to the Peel Public Health Board. Three of the cases are in Mississauga, and one is in Brampton. The region's Associate Medical Officer of Health, Dr. Dr. Monica Howe, said on Wednesday, Two men and two women are affected and in the range of a, in range in age from 19 to 43. 
based on our follow-up in the confirmed cases, we believe the risk spread from the risk of spread of this disease to the general public is minimal. Howe said the region will continue to monitor and reassess this situation to see if a broader public notification becomes necessary. Toronto is also dealing with mumps with a mumps outbreak of 40 confirmed cases in the city, according to Toronto Public Health. Most of the cases are among people 18 to 35, but four of the cases are related to schools in Toronto, either among staff or students, according to the City of Toronto website. Now, I looked up mumps. I think pretty much w in my generation, at least, everybody got the mumps at some point. And it was, pardon the pun, a pain in the neck. Um, it was one of these situations where nobody wanted it, but nobody was really scared of it either. Now, in s extreme cases, in very, very rare cases, it, is, it can be fatal. There's, uh, you can get a swelling of the brain, which, can, which is usually fatal, but that's in such a small, it's a fractional amount of the cases. So while it's part of, you know, it's something to be concerned about, it's nothing to be afraid of. And what strikes me is, so between Toronto and the Peel region, you have 44 cases of this. Do you know how many people live in that region? About 5 million. You're more likely to get hit twice by lightning on the same day than you are to get a case of mumps. I have no statistics to back that up, but that just seems to be the way that it goes. So um, that just seems to be my gut instinct on it. Remember SARS? Now, if I remember, and it was a number of years ago, oh, that was Ernie Eves was still in office. He was still the premier. Oh, God, I wish we could get him back. He'd be much better than the one we got now. But the point I'm making is he has a situation where I think it was about 40 people, 40 or 47 somehow, ring a bell, and there was a number of deaths, two or three. And I don't mean to trivialize them either, but, I mean, let's face it, same thing, 5 million people, 40 cases, and one or two people were unfortunate, unfortunately passed away. How many traffic accidents are there? How many traffic fatalities are there? You know, how many people die <sighs> walking to school? I don't know. But, you know, I think, and here's what I'm getting at. I think that when it comes to diseases and illnesses, we are terrified of our own shadow. Think about it. 44 cases of mumps. And the chance, it's, it's, it's not a fun disease. It's painful. It's, you know, it happens in, in well, you, if you know anything about the mumps, you know it happens around the, your neck just under your jaw where your saliva glands are. And usually most of us get it when, our, when we're kids. And then once you have it, you never get it again. Or it's very, very hard to, to pick it up. But it is very contagious for about seven or eight days before the symptoms show and for six or seven days afterwards. So you've got this... I don't know, we'll say two weeks where you could get it. Okay, if you haven't been exposed to it before, and there is a vaccine for it. But even in vaccinated areas, occasionally there's flare-ups. But what are we worried about? Does, is, it, is this worth, this is off the CBC News site, uh, when was it? Uh, today. Uh, they have a story on it. Four cases of mumps in Peel, 40 in Toronto. So 44 in the, in the GTA, and this somehow makes the news. There, the, the chances of somebody dying from this are, are, like, I'm not suggesting it won't happen, but the chances are of it, of it actually happening 
are very, very small. Very small. So why are we so afraid of this? With SARS, it shut down an entire city. I was driving a truck at the time, and I was making deliveries down there. To um, I was driving for a local bakery out of Killaloo, and driving down, what I had my route was once a week, I'd go down to Toronto to pick up a bunch of stuff for the bakery, and along with some other health food stores, and bring all that stuff back up to the Ottawa Valley. And it was an overnight trip. I've never had a problem. It was, the city was a ghost town. By comparison, there were people around. But I mean, for the most part, you could park anywhere. There was no traffic. People were terrified of a disease that affected such a small, statistically small number of people within the GTA that... I just don't understand why people are so afraid. They, they hear uh, somebody's gotten a disease. Okay, well, you know, all right. Uh, uh, you know, it's unfortunate that happens. But to shut a whole city down? I remember Ernie Eves walked out to the podium. Now I know this is all for the sake of picture. He's, he had his sleeves rolled up and his tie undone, looked like he's working real hard on the problem, you know. He had nothing to do with it. He was just, I'm not saying he was just a premier, but that was the health official's job. You know, but I remember them when they saw images on the news. You thought they were dealing with Ebola, which was another uh, tempest in a teapot. I mean, it was—it's a dread disease. Make no mistake, but there was never any chance of of it becoming an epidemic here in North America. It just—it just didn't. What you had to do to get it was was just ridiculous. Africa, different story, but certainly not here. And yet people panicked. But they were going out. They had on these full. Um, decontamination suits and double double plastic between them and the victim and these latex gloves up to their elbows. They looked like they were trying to decontaminate a nuclear fallout zone. It was just ridiculous. And now we have it, here we have it with mumps. Now I could just, imagine you're, you're uh, let's say, I don't know, you're 19 or 20. You've got the mumps, you feel like crap. And this story pops up in the news. You know you're one of them. How do you feel? I don't know. I've never been in that position. I personally probably wouldn't care. See, I'm a very pragmatic person. You know, uh, the chances, there's an old saying that says, stop worrying. 95% of the stuff you worry about never happens. And the 5% that does happen won't be as bad. It'll either kill you outright or won't be as bad as you think it'll be. And if it's not as bad as you think it'll be, no big deal. And if it kills you, you got nothing left to worry about. In other words, don't sweat the small stuff. That's what this is. This is small stuff. And yet here we are, you know, running around like children afraid of our own shadows. And then there's a side story that says, uh, Mump cases mount in Toronto with public health saying, we're not near the end yet. The end of what? So I just got to ask you that. Do you, do you think that we're, we're really terrified of our own shadows? Have we gotten so lily-livered? Have we got no resilience at all? I just, I just don't understand. I just don't get it. <sighs> anyway, I just thought I'd share that with you. Uh, we'll take a break. We'll be right back.
and CEO of the Greater Ottawa Truckers Association, the voice of independent truckers in the Ottawa area, and proud supporters of Nick at Night. Every day we go to work to help build a better eastern Ontario, and safety is our top priority. Every start of the shift, our drivers perform inspections on their trucks, so we ensure that our drivers go home to their families each night, and you, the public, have confidence that the big truck beside you is safe. If you have any issues relating to any size truck, I encourage you to contact me at 613-738-1639. Let's build a better, fatality-free Ottawa together. All right, thanks for staying with us, folks. Uh, the numbers are 343-700-4390-844-562-4766, Nick at night at latenightcouncil.com, and you can also reach me via Facebook if you want to send me a, a PM uh, private message and let me know what you're thinking and what's going through your head. You can certainly do that. Now, I want to go back to this, or not go back to, but bring up the issue of this hydro rate cut by the Liberals. And it was supposed to give new life to Kathleen Wynne, whose numbers are, uh, I've never seen or heard numbers lower, 11%, which as I think I said last week, are, which means that out of 100 people, 11 think she's doing a good job. That means her and her office staff are about the only people in Ontario who think she's actually doing anything worthwhile. Now, what's, what's cute about this She's come out with this plan, which means they're actually going to, because th they say 25%, but what they're in including is 8% cut they've already announced. So the real number is 17%. Now, it's interesting. I was talking to my son tonight about this, uh, who's about ready to buy his first home. And um, he was saying, I don't believe her. Now, he is not what I would call political. He is aware of politics, but he's not me. Like, he's not a news junkie. He's not... Uh, uh, the kind of guy who just, you know, pays real close attention. But he pays attention to his bills. And you want to get somebody's attention, especially somebody like, like him. Peter is a very bright young man. And he just doesn't have time right now in his life. He, you know, he's, he's not old enough yet. He, he's, what, uh, is he 30? Uh, he's still single. He's buying his first home. He's got other things in life that are still taking his attention. He hasn't begun to pay attention to politics yet. That'll come in another five or six years. But anyway, he said, when I, we were talking about this, he said, first of all, they come up with this 25% this hydro rate cut, which I don't believe. It's only 17%. And even then, I don't believe them. I have no reason to believe them. I thought, yeah, you're right. There is no reason to believe them. And besides, you know, they're the ones who gave, this, gave us the sickness. Do you really want them to give you the cure? And he said, of course not. So we had a very interesting conversation. So... There's been a poll released talking about this. Uh, let's see. Where is it? Uh, it says, this is from CBC News again. Uh, the number of undecided voters up across the province indi 
indicates the move has at least knocked away some from the opposition. Well, that's their take on it. So Ontario's government plans to dramatically cut hydro rates did little to boost support for the Liberals ahead of next year's provincial election, a new poll suggests. The Main Street Research Poll, commissioned by Post Media and released Wednesday, suggests the Ontario Provincial Conservative Party remains in the lead despite the announcement, though more respondents say they are undecided about who they would vote for if an election were held today. All right, now, let me skip down a little bit here to get to the meat of the poll. According to the poll, which captured the views, I love the language, they captured the views, sounds like a trap in the ground, right? Gah, gotcha! Anyway, uh, the views of 2,531 Ontarians, uh, I hate that word. Uh, <coughs> anyway, on March 11th to 12th, the move was received by the move was received by 41% of respondents as a political one. Oh, okay, read the whole sentence, son. Uh, even so, 47% of those polled approved of the hydro plan, with 35% disapproving. For comparison purposes only, a random sample of this size would yield a margin of error plus 1.95%. The poll was conducted by interactive voice response that included landline and cell line responses. Right now, it looks like Wynne has succeeded and expanded the number of Ontarians who might vote for her, Main Street Research Executive Vice President David Valentin said, but that doesn't mean that they will. Everywhere I go, I hear from people worried about the price they are asked to pay for hydro. Okay, ba ba ba. Uh, ba -bum. Let's see, where did it go? Okay, now, here's the part that matters. The largest jump in undecided voters came from southwestern Ontario, where the GTA's undecided rate was largely unchanged. And among all those surveyed, the PCs posted a 10-point lead. However, all bets were off on the issue of Ontario's hydro plan alone, with PC leader Patrick Brown's lead disappearing altogether when respondents were asked who had the best plan for the province. When asked which provincial leader has the best hydro plan, the results uh, point to a three-way race. But I think the question is not how many people are going to base their votes on just who has the best hydro plan, but has the Premier been able to change the ballot question? Blah, blah, blah. That's not what I'm interested in. The PCs have so far presented no plan for cutting hydro rates. That's the point I wanted to get to. If there was ever a time to come out with a clear... I, I was listening to um, a phone call into, this, into a radio station here today by um, uh, Vic Fideli, who is from the Nipissing riding, I believe, or Nipissing... Spencer Nipissing Pembroke. No, no, that's my ri my writing. Uh, anyway, he's he's a PC uh, member, the member of the PC caucus. Um, anyway, so the the guy put it to him and said, "Okay, so what is your plan? What is your plan? What is the PC party going to do?" And he says, "Well, we've already got three planks out there. We're not going to sign any more contracts. Like there's 11, 1,100 new green energy contracts that the Liberals are going to sign. We would not sign those." Okay, so that's one thing we would not do. We would not uh, sell off hydro. We would stop that. Okay, so there's something else we would not do. And he mentioned a third thing. I can't remember what it is off the top of my head. But the, uh, get the host pressed him and said, okay, so what will you do? We know what you won't do. What will you do? Because those things stop the rise of hydro rates, but they don't do anything to bring relief to cut hydro rates. And that has been a glaring weakness with the PC party for months. You've got a premier who's down on her back in the middle of the arena 
and you've got your sword to her throat, but you have no muscle, no, no plan to finish her off. What, what does it take? How many brains does it take to say, you know something, we're going to cancel the Green Energy Act. We're not going to impose that. We'll repeal the carbon tax. I mean, how much brains does it take to say that? You're not just telling people what they want to hear. You're doing the right thing. And yet, for some reason, the PC Party of Ontario doesn't want to come out. And one of the th points, look, I get it. You don't want to play your cards too soon. But if you want to build an insurmountable lead, now's the time to do it. Look, if the, if the other team pulls their goalie, don't play defense. Their goalie is laying half dead in the crease. Go and tr score some goals. Go on offense. Yes, it's over a year to the next election. But if you start piling on now and building that lead now and continuously coming up with new ideas to, to spell out not only what's wrong with the province, but how to fix it, then there's nothing the Liberals will have left to, to argue with you on. They won't have any ammunition. You'll have taken it all. But for some reason, Patrick Brown and his crew have decided that doing nothing is better than going for the kill. Because here's what I've learned. If I've learned one thing about politics, especially progressive politics, especially liberals, they will reinvent themselves in the next year. They, what, if, what if they got rid of Kathleen Wynne? They better arm, they, you know, they gave her, say, look, <laughs> you better take the graceful way out. We'll find some place to put you where you'll have a salary for the rest of your life, plus your pension, and you'll be well looked after, but you're done. We can't afford to have you because your ratings are so low. And they put in somebody else. Can you imagine if they put the Attorney General in there? Who I do not like as a politician. I'm trying to think of his name off the top of my head. It'll come to me. Uh, why, why do I keep thinking of Benjamin Netanyahu? Somehow he's a lot of things, but a liberal isn't one of them. Wow, come on. I can see us. Yasser Nakfi, that's it. Uh, Yasser Nakfi. Can you imagine the poll? Okay, with anybody in the Premier's chair, even on an interim leadership uh, situation, that's a game changer for the Liberals. If they do that, and you don't have something solid to stand on, like an actual plan, then you're going to have a whole problem you you could have avoided had you just built an insurmountable lead over the next year. It shouldn't matter who they put in there, but it will, because there is no clear alternative. The Tories look much too much like the Liberals do. They really do, and that is part of the problem. And it's enough to make you weep. It's enough to make you just want to lay down and cry. Because it's so clear, it's so easy. Have you ever watched a football game where the guy's got the ball running for the end zone, but he's running towards the wrong one, and the whole everybody in the stadium knows it but him? That's Patrick Brown. He's got the ball, and he's running like crazy. 
and everybody on his team is chasing after him. But he's going the wrong way. Folks, I don't know what else to tell you. It's just, you look at this, and you, even Andrea Horwath, whether you like her, you realize that if the Tories, if, if the Liberals don't change their leader, and the Tories come up with no plan, Andrea Horwath could be the next Premier? What, for, from our perspective, what difference would it make? If Patrick Brown is the leader of this part of the PC party, then it won't make any difference at all because there won't be any difference between those three parties. So put up any flag you want to, we're all screwed. <sighs> Man, I'm telling you, there are days that just don't pay to get out of bed. And if I was Patrick Brown, that would be pretty much every day. All right, let's take a little break. And when we come back, we'll have more right after this. I've been taking my cars to Irwin's Automotion. 17 years ago, Irwin was renting space on the corner of Bank and Heron. His encyclopedic knowledge of all things mechanical and his no-bull honesty has resulted in his second move. He now operates a huge facility on Cleopatra, eight bays and an expert staff that operate all in the same wavelength. Honesty, integrity, try to save the customers some money and headaches, but fix it right the first time. Irwin's Automotion, 34, Cleopatra. Tell them council sent you. That'll make them smile. Okay, folks, thanks for sticking around. 343-700-4390-844-562-4766. I want to talk a little bit about this Dutch election and why I think it's very, very hard to get a read on it. I mean, CTV is saying that uh, uh, Gert Wilders lost, uh, but it says Dutch PM Root beats anti-Islam leader Wilders. Well, maybe he did, maybe he didn't, I don't know. The reason I'm saying that is because I looked at um, at that election rather closely earlier today, and did you know, well, first of all, they have proportional representation. There were about 15 parties on the ballot, and the ballot itself looked like a page out of a newspaper. It was absolutely huge. Absolutely huge. I mean, imagine the Ottawa Sun or the Winnipeg Free Press. You, d you take any of these magazine-style papers and take one page out of it, you know, the take the top cover. That's what the thing looked like. It was that big. And it's covered with names and checkboxes. It was the most complicated voting system I think I've ever seen. 
When, you know something? I think we really don't understand how well our system works. Can you tell me another place on the planet that has the ability to accurately predict who is winning and has won in this country, outside of this country? In other words, what I'm saying is Canada has the ability to decide within two hours of the closing closing the polls, and many times long before that, uh, who the next prime minister is going to be. They're not supposed to announce these results for six days after the elections. And I guess the official announcement won't come till then. But according to CTV News, and the reason I'll bet you they're basing this on, on exit polls, which I do not believe. Uh, let's see, Dutch Prime Minister Mark Rutte on Wednesday claimed a dominating parliamentary election victory over anti-Islam lawmaker Ger Wilders, who failed the year's first litmus test for populism in Europe. Provisional results, with over half the votes counted, suggest Root's party won 32 seats in the 150-member legislature, 13 more than Wilders' party, which took only third place with 19 seats. Oh, let's see. So the problem is in this particular scenario, you've got all, you have no party can win a, um, a majority because it's a coalition. It's always a coalition. Now, coalitions work great if you want to work together, let's say, during a war. Like the, when we look at World War II, we have the Allies and the Axis. Both of those were coalitions. We didn't call them that at the time, certainly not in average everyday parlance like we do now. But coalition forces is a pretty common term these days. And that works to a degree in an armed conflict. And I suppose you could say that politics is an unarmed armed conflict. Did you know that the House of Lords uh, in England uh, was built uh, so the space between the opposition and the government was two swords lengths so they couldn't draw their swords in the heat of conflict and in the heat of debate and kill each other? That's true. I, I didn't <laughs> found that out a little while ago. A little bit of trivia. Anyway, so the problem is you have um, a never-ending, ongoing coalition now, to certain people, that sounds like a wonderful thing. Oh, we just love coalitions. Everybody has to get along. That's not the way this works. First of all, let me borrow a line from the movie Broken Arrow. And uh, John Travolta's character has just killed one of his um, uh, villain buddies. He's the chief protagonist in the movie. And just crushed his throat with a flashlight. And while he's doing it, he says, shared leadership is never a good idea. He's right. <laughs> as brutal as that was, he's right. Somebody has to be accountable. Somebody has to decide. Even in the humanist show, um, uh, Star Trek The Next Generation, with Captain Jean-Luc Picard, did you know there's there's a whole school of leadership built on the way that Picard was portrayed by Patrick Stewart in that show and the style of leadership that they used? And everybody had their input. But even in that case, like they sat around the table when they were making decisions, and Picard would ask each of the people around him, whether it be Geordie LaForge or, you know, his second-in-command or whether it would be uh, um, da Data or um, what was the girl's name? I can't remember now. Anyway, uh, the brunette. 
oh, I can see your face. I can't think of her name. Anyway, he would ask them all, and finally he'd say, okay, this is what we're going to do. In the, even in that case, somebody had to be have their hand on the, on the trigger and pull the trigger and be responsible for the decision. In a coalition-style government, there is never that. Because this is what's wrong with this proportional representation idea. Because it's always a, a, an ongoing negotiation, no one, can, uh, no one is ever accountable. Because they can always say, well, I was just doing what everybody else wanted to do. I was getting along. That's what you wanted. That's what you elected us for. Instead of what we have today where somebody wins, somebody loses, and you have the opposition and you have the government, and the opposition's job is to oppose whatever the government puts forward, which is a healthy thing in a, in a well-functioning democracy, which Canada is not. And the government does what it says it was going to do with its mandate that it got from the people. That's the way our system is supposed to work. But in Holland, it don't work that way. So even whether Gilders wins or loses isn't the point. Well, it, it, yes, it is. But I think you have to keep in mind that if we'd had, if the Dutch had had a parliamentary system the way that we do, who knows what would have happened? Who knows what would have happened? Look what happened in the States. So we'll see what happens. We'll see what shakes out of, out of this. Because even though he didn't win, he certainly had a huge impact on Dutch politics in general, or particular, and on European politics in a, in a little bit broader scope. So this is a lesson for us, I think, when what well doesn't matter now because Trudeau not going to do it because he's realized the benefits of our system, especially wanting to shut down things like Friday debate. He has the power to do that. No more accountability, no more question period, or certainly not nearly as many question periods. He doesn't attend them as a general rule anyway, not that I've noticed. And when he does, somebody else does his answering for him. Either they can't trust him to answer, or he just isn't interested. I'm not sure which it is. Now, um, let's see. There is something else I want to bring up. I believe it is about... Let me go... Okay, tell you what. Uh... I will uh, take a break. I will dig up what I'm looking for because I know what it is. I just have to find it. We'll take a break, and when we come back, I'll have it for you. I'll be right back after this. General Manager and CEO of the Greater Ottawa Truckers Association, the voice of independent truckers in the Ottawa area, and proud supporters of Nick at Night. Every day we go to work to help build a better eastern Ontario, and safety is our top priority. Every start of the shift, our drivers perform inspections on their trucks so we ensure that our drivers go home to their families each night, and you, the public, have confidence that the big truck beside you is safe. If you have any issues relating to any size truck, I encourage you to contact me at 613-738-1639. Let's build a better, fatality-free Ottawa together. 
Okay, thanks for staying with us, folks. The numbers again are 343-700-4390-844-562-4766. Give me a call, and I want to mention again, uh, I have three sets of passes for, they're called laugh passes. That's free entry into Yuck Yucks at 292 Elgin Street. Um, for the first three people that either call or email me their civic address so I can send it off to them, um, we'll put them in the mail for you. I'll, uh, I'll, I'm going to put Nick at Night on the back so they know that where they came from. But it's a, great, I, it's, it's a great club. You'll have a lot of fun. They have great comics down there. And uh, tell them that uh, Nick sent you. That'll make them smile. All right, now, this whole Bill M103 thing, there's, you know something? It's troubling for a lot of reasons. And I get a lot of mail from different politicians, uh, whether it be, you know, people, uh, the Tories send me stuff, the Liberals send me stuff. And I, they, I'm not unique in that. I'm sure they uh, send a lot of people this kind of stuff, uh, <coughs> uh, you know, because they're trying to uh, draw attention to themselves. But Brad Trost sent me two things um, this week that I want you to pay attention to. One, uh, he sent me a link to a town hall he held in Toronto. Now, I watched about half. I didn't get a chance to watch the whole thing. But it's about an hour long. But take the time to go on my page and uh, click on that link and watch uh, him uh, dealing with people in Toronto about who he is, what he stands for, and the Q&A that follows. I, I caught a good chunk of it, so I've got a good sense. I really, really liked what he had to say. Now, he also sent me this, and it's about the motion M103. Let's see. He says the following. First, Justin Trudeau's office in Ottawa recruited a backbench Liberal MP to introduce a motion on so-called Islamophobia. If that were not bad enough, Justin got Ontario Premier Kathleen Wynne's office at Queen's Park in Toronto to recruit an Ontario backbench MP, MPP to introduce this Islamophobia motion, motion number 37, that, in the opinion of this House, the, legislati the Legislative Assembly of Ontario should, should reaffirm that diversity has always played an important part in Ontario's culture and heritage, recognize the significant contributions Muslims have made. I want to stop there. I have nothing against you know, the, the average Muslim who wants to go around and live their lives quietly, not disturb anybody. Okay, they're not looking for trouble. They're just, they just want to live their lives and, and be left alone, like the rest of us. That's not a problem. But are you going to tell me that as a group, Muslim Canadians have made a huge contribution to this country? Historically speaking? I mean, you can say that about the Irish. You can say that about the Polish. You can say that about the Germans. You can say that about the Ukrainians. You can say that about a lot of Western Europeans, especially the English, of all the groups who have made contributions, the English and the French, you would think, top the list. Nowhere in there do I say see any Islamic uh, influence. And that's not being anti-Islamic. That's just a recognition of history. We do not have a long history of people of the Islamic faith contributing to this province or this country on any kind of grand scale. Did they help design the CPR? Did they help design the, the, uh, the St. Lawrence Seaway or the hydroelectric project at, at uh, Niagara Falls? Did they help build the CN Tower? Now, there may have been Muslims on the crew building some of these places. I'm not denying that. But who are the people who designed them? Who are the people who, you know, it's just, I'm sorry. That's just, this is nothing but left-wing progressive nonsense. Anyway, 
uh, let's see, recognize significant contribu contributions of Muslims have made and continue to make. And I'm not saying that they're not making uh, uh, contributions today, but certainly not historically. Uh, let's see. To Ontario's culture and social fabric and prosperity, stand against all forms of hatred, hostility, prejudice, racism, and intolerance, rebuke the notable growing tide on anti-Muslim rhetoric and sentiments, denounce hate attacks, threats of violence, and hate crimes against the people of the Muslim faith, condemn all forms of Islamophobia, and reaffirm its support for government efforts through the Anti-Racism Directorate to address and prevent systemic racism across the government policy, across government policy programs and services, and increase anti-racism education and awareness, including Islamophobia, in all parts of the province. But it gets worse. On February 23rd, the Ontario PC Caucus, led by Patrick Brown, helped pass this motion unanimously. Eyes 81, nays 0. Did you get that? No Ontario PC MPP voted against this. Not one. In the last Ontario PC leadership campaign in 2014, Ontario Conservatives had high hopes. They saw two candidates, Patrick Brown and Monty McNaughton, campaigning on the deeply held commitments of grassroots Ontario Conservatives, including family-friendly, child-friendly, and senior-friendly policy. Near the end of the campaign, Monty McNaughton endorsed Patrick Brown, who won the race, becoming the leader of the Ontario PC Party and Ontario's leader of the opposition. Sadly, Patrick has gone further and further to the left, becoming more and more liberal and less and less recognizably conservative. Grassroots Ontario Conservatives thought there was still hope for the future with Monty, but now it's clear that he no longer wants to stand with grassroots conservative, let alone speak for them. On February 23rd, Monty McNaughton voted for the Ontario Liberals' Islamophobia motion in the, Islamic, in the Ontario legislature. I cannot support that. I cannot endorse that. And that was written by uh, Brad Trost. Now, with this whole Islamophobia thing, first of all, we don't need either one of these motions. And I know this has been talked to death, but I'm sorry, we have to pound this point home. Because it's not actually, you know what it is? This motion is improperly, is improperly labeled. It should be called Islamophilia. Not the fear of Islamophobia, and not the fear of Islam, but the love of it. Over everything else. Look, in Western society, people are free to criticize religion. They criticize mine all the time. You know, I'm a Catholic. And believe me, they have mocked it. They have laughed at it. They have called people who adhere to its doctrine uh, backwards, out of touch, out of date, and things far worse than that. Nobody's ever been prosecuted for hate crimes against Catholics that I know of. Take the Jews as an example. There's been far more uh, attacks on uh, Jewish holy sites, uh, far more anti-Semitic uh, attacks in Canada than there have been uh, anti-Islamic attacks. And yet, there was a piece in the Metro paper, I meant to bring it in, and I think I forgot it out in the car, but uh, I was reading it tonight, and talking about there was like 84 attacks in Canada, if my memory serves me correctly, um, last year. 84 out of 36 million people. Again, we're talking about proportions, right? Uh, now, I don't condone that kind of activity. But what do you expect? I mean, look, 
there is they're, they're saying that you know we can't have the writer of the story was saying well we had you know intentionally uh, an intentionally set fire in Peterborough we had the shooting in Quebec we had and nobody condones these things not anybody that I know I certainly don't but they're talking about oh yeah one guy shouting at, here in Ottawa we have one guy shouting at a Muslim oh God anybody gets shouted at go to the pro-life rally you want to see people getting shouted at that's coming up, by the way, in May, I think, uh, here on Parliament Hill. The biggest protest of the year barely gets mentioned. And yet the, some of the garbage that gets tossed at people who simply stand for the unborn, the most defenseless in our, in our society, undergo some of the most disgusting displays. And nobody ever charges them with hate crimes, you know, the people who put these displays on. Just unbelievable some of the stuff that happens there. Yet nobody ever says, that's a hate crime. And I wouldn't want them to. Because I don't believe in hate crime laws. We have libel laws. We have slander laws. We have the courts, in other words, to deal with this. You know, the, the single best way to deal with these kinds of things, and I, I, excuse me if I, I'm repeating myself from last week, because I don't know if I mentioned it or not, but I watched a video on YouTube about a young a young. Um, Skull full of mush, I'll say he's 23, 24. Him and about half a dozen of his left-wing friends decided they were going to burn the American flag down in Pennsylvania someplace. Or maybe it was California. Who cares? He was on a university campus, and he's going to burn the American flag. Well, a bunch of locals found out about it, and about 1,500 of them turned up at his flag-burning ceremony, and they surrounded him. And he's trying to read a statement before he burns it. Now they have the riot police there. They have cops on horses there to protect these six people. You know what the crowd did? They shouted him down. Yeah, they threw a couple water balloons at him. Harmless. I mean, let, let's face it. It's not like, you know, uh, okay, you know, that's... I'm not surprised at that. I don't think it's all that big a deal. I mean, the kid wasn't hurt in any way. But they certainly let him know how they felt. And that, my friends, is how you deal with idiots who want to go and desecrate something that the people hold as sacred. You shout them down. You don't have laws passed against them. You don't try to silence it. You certainly don't call for the beheading of people or the death of people who draw a cartoon or mock your religion or want to interfere, uh, you know, uh, who, who, who just think that what you believe isn't, is, is just plain crazy. Because to everybody else, it happens all the time. I'm sure that Sikhs and Hindus and Baha'i and, and Jews and Catholics and Protestants and all these groups, we all go through it. If you, if you are somebody of faith, you will be laughed at at some time in your life. You will be made fun of. You will be, have the things that you hold dear. Those things will happen to you if you truly believe in them. If you truly stand up for them. If you're not afraid, then somebody is going to attack you. But I don't want people, unless they're being violent, I don't want people to be compelled by law not to. Do I like what happens at some of these pro-life rallies? No, of course not. Do I like what happens you know, to Jewish cemeteries and, and synagogues? No. Do I like what happens to mosques? 
No. Now, if it's vandalism, okay, yes. We have, but again, we have laws for that. At least I thought we did. What's the point of having, you know, damage to private property laws, vandalism laws, if you're going to categorize them as hate crime? It just, it just doesn't make any sense to me. So this bill, M103 and M37, they're not bills, they're motions. But they're designed to bring legislation into place later. They'll go through all the motions and they're going to bring out, they're going to outlaw the criticism of one religion. Now, the conservatives have come out on the federal side and said, look, let's include all religions. Scrap the Islamophobia language and just make it about, no, we don't even need that. Just stop favoring one religion over another. That's all we want. So if somebody, if somebody does the equivalent, if somebody disrespects Islam, and there's a million ways to do that, and then a horde of people show up and they want to kill somebody for it, then they should be charged with inciting a riot. Because we don't do that here in the West. Look, one of the most disgusting things I have ever seen was a, a picture of a crucifix in a jar of urine. It was labeled Christ in piss. Pardon my language. It was disgusting. It was so thoroughly, absolutely thoroughly uh, abhorrent and insulting to the Christian faith. And yet I didn't hear one priest or one pastor anywhere call for the person responsible to die. Bibles have been desecrated. I mean, there was one Ezra Levant was talking about the other day on uh, on. On Rebel, he held up a Bible. They had literally shot to pieces in the Middle East. He didn't call for the perpetrator to be killed, but do that to a Koran and see what happens. See, there's this imbalance. So this whole thing about this nonsense, about we need to have Islamophobia. We can't have Islamophobia. No, we can't have Islamophilia. We can't have an irrational love of Islam, except by its adherence. Like, I have an irrational love for the Catholic Church, but that does not mean that I get to go around and scream and call for the death of somebody who insults Jesus Christ or his church. I don't have to do that. Not my job to do that. My job is to be faithful. That's my job. So this, this ongoing undermining of, of Canadian values for the sake of one religion, and ultimately at its root, do you know why? Do you know why people have decided that Islamophobia can't be tolerated? It's because they're afraid. Underneath it all, there's a current of fear. And the reason for the current of fear is this. You can insult somebody like me with no fear. I'm not going to do anything about it. I'll pray for you, but that's about it. 
I'm not going to chase you down the street. I'm not going to beat you up. I'm not going to set your car on fire. I'm not going to call for your death. I'm not going to take a knife and saw your head off. I'm not going to do any of those things. And everybody knows it. If I'm Jewish, I'm not going to do that either. If I'm Protestant, I'm not. If I'm a member of the Baha'i faith, if I'm a member of, um, you know, pick your religion. Except Islam. That's the difference. The vast majority of other religions are by their nature peaceful. But everybody knows that if you insult the Prophet or the Quran, there's a very real possibility there will be violence about it. And people are afraid. And that's why they will allow things for those people that they will never allow. They will never allow, or certainly don't want to allow, for anybody else. And I, quite frankly, have had enough of that. We can't put up a nativity scene. There have been cases where a Muslim goes to a Catholic hospital and demanded a crucifix be removed because they find it offensive. Hey, dude, you're in a Catholic hospital. Catholics have crucifixes. They kind of go hand in hand. You know, we don't ask you to take down, uh, you know, to put pews in in a mosque and put up an altar because we find it offensive that you don't have that. Anyway, I've rattled on long enough about that. It's just frustrating when I hear it because I'm tired of this constant appeasement and constant nonsense that goes with it. I just wanted to share that with you about Brad Trost and about uh, what he had to say about that. I really do encourage you um, to have a look at uh, that town hall. You can find it on my Facebook page. Just click on that. If you want to become a, a, a member of Nick's Knights, send me a friendship request and I shall approve it. Um, and you'll become a member of Nick's, Nick's Knights with all the perks and benefits that go with that. Uh, the wages are lousy, but at least the hours are long. It's a <laughs> I like that saying. I'm going to get a t-shirt made with that on it one of these days. Anyhow, all right, we'll take a little break. We'll be back with more right after this. So Nick is reloading and taking a much-needed break. Not that he needs one, but maybe it's a good thing. So if you want to fire him off an email, just uh, send it to nick at latenightcouncil.com. That's simple, huh? Nick at latenightcouncil.com. 
Or better yet, call now. Hey, I know he could talk forever, but you know what? If you're doing talk radio, you love the calls. 343-700-4390. That's 343-700-4390 for the Capital Region. And if you can't get through on that line or you live far, far, far away, like we're talking about Alaska, 1-844-562-4766. That's 1-844-562-4766. Now, our call service is automated. You won't be talking to a live person until you're live on air. Don't sweat it. Just follow the prompts and while you're on hold and, and you'll be fine. does not exist without advertisers. So if you want to buy time, you contact either myself, jc at latenightcouncil.com, or you can contact Nick, if you're more comfortable with him, and of course I certainly understand that, you can contact Nick at latenightcouncil.com. The ads are like really, really cheap. I mean, you're going you're gonna to love them. Okay? You're, you're, we've, we've made them quite accessible Feedback is always welcome. Tell us what you like. Tell us what you don't like. And thanks for tuning in. Now, back to Nick at Night. All right, let me ask you something. Are you one of these techno geeks... Are you, and I, I say that in the most loving and embracing way. Um, whether I like to admit it or not, I'm pretty uh, hooked to my cell phone. I love the portability that comes with it, the ab ability to communicate from anywhere. I <laughs> I'll tell you a little story. When I, I had my cell phone, oh, I've only had it now for two years. And about a year ago, in the spring, I had a beaver problem. Now, I was down. I was on the phone. I had one of these little Bluetooth things. I had it in my ear, and I had my phone in my pocket. And I, <laughs> I had to take out a couple of beavers. So I'm having a conversation with a guy from Calgary. His name was George. And uh, it was a business call. And I told him, I said, look, I'm down by the pond. I've got to take out a couple of beavers because they're doing a lot of damage. My neighbor is telling me they're flooding one of his hay fields. I've got to take them out. Okay, so I'm down here. If you hear a loud bang, it's no big deal. You know, I'm, I've got the 22 with me. I'm just doing what I have to do to deal with these beavers. So <laughs> let's just say that when the gun went off, <laughs> it kind of startled poor old George. But I was in the bush being, you know, kind of quiet and waiting down there in, in the bushes by the near the water, waiting for Mr. Beaver to come along. And uh, I thought to myself, what kind of world do we live in where I can be down here, you know, 10 miles from the nearest town. 
a couple of miles from the nearest person other than my family, uh, taking out beavers out of my pond so that my neighbor doesn't get mad at me uh, for having a beaver dam where I don't, where there shouldn't be one because it's flooding his hay field and he's losing, you know, hay that he needs for his cattle every year because it's all swampy and he can't cut it. Um, what kind of world do we live in? And I, I kind of laughed at myself, and poor old George, I felt sorry for him because it scared the crap out of him. But I did warn him. I did tell him what was going to happen. So anyway, uh, there's a story out of the, um, uh, the Telegraph under the science section today. And i got to share this with you because i got to ask you, does this sound like you? And the, head, the headline reads this way. Losing smartphone is almost as stressful as, terror, as the terror threat. Think of that for a minute. All right. Here's, here's the story. The prospect of losing a smartphone stresses people out almost as much as the fear of a, of a terror attack. A new study has shown. A report by the Psychological Society asked 2,000 people to rate how stressful they found key events. While obvious situations such as the death of a loved one or becoming seriously ill scored highly, so did modern concerns such as identity theft, commuter delays, and even going on holiday. The threat of a, terror of a terror attack came 13 on the list of stressful events, just one point above losing a smartphone and well below planning a wedding or moving a house. Or moving house, not a house. <laughs> well, in other words, moving from one house to another. The findings also showed that women report higher stress levels than men, particularly surrounding the death of a loved one, illness, losing illness, losing their smartphone, and Brexit. Dr. Lucy Donaldson, chair of the Psychological Society's Policy Committee, said, the modern world brings with it stresses we would not have imagined 50 years ago, such as social media and smartphones. Really? Who the funk? <laughs> so are you somebody like that who, you know, as long as a, the, the, do you freak out when the phone goes dead in the middle of a phone call because you forgot to charge it? Now, i got to admit, I'm a little anal about that. I like to keep my phone charged. I don't like it to go dead. And it's I've got a Galaxy S4. I really like it. It's a great big aircraft carrier of a phone. When you got fingers like mine, you have to strike four times to hit the key you want because the buttons are so small. How people used to text on, on flip phones, I have no idea. Anyway, so I have gotten used to this thing. I fought it for years. I didn't want it, probably because I was afraid I was going to like it too much. Uh, it's like taking that first drink of alcohol. You're afraid that, you know, you don't know whether you're going to like it or not. And, and uh, you're afraid you'll like it a little too much. That happens to some people for sure. Anyway, so are you somebody who is so hooked to technology that when it's not available, and I include laptops and interne Internet, is technology such a part of your life that if it was suddenly ripped away from you, would you think your world is ending? Now, there are times. Now, we have done something at home. We've gotten rid of our landline, something I never thought we would do. But it just got ridiculous. They wanted um, Bell Canada and us got into a fight. And, you know, they were paying for um, uh, a service we weren't really using. The only time the phone ever rang was, was for telemarketers. And we just got tired of it. So we just got rid of the landline. And now my wife has a cell phone. I have a cell phone. And there's usually one of us home, um, that kind of thing. So people can always get a hold of us. And it doesn't really matter where we are. So we've made that technological jump. I'm just curious, 
So when these things become unavailable to us, like I hate it when my Internet goes down. One of the reasons I don't do my show from home is because my Internet isn't solid enough. Like it's, it, it's good service, and for the vast majority of people it would be fine. But when you want to do an online show like I do, you need a rock-solid, never-go-bad never go or almost-never-go-bad Internet connection. And if you don't have it, you're in trouble. So on one hand, that does kind of describe me. I don't know if I would say it's as stressful as worrying about a terror attack, although I don't spend a whole lot of time worrying about that either. Um, I don't know. It's, it, it certainly ups the stress. Let's put it that way. In ways I never could have conceived when I was a younger man. I mean, I remember being in the Navy in the 1980s, and I would write long handwritten letters to my wife she shows them to me now, and I can't even, I don't even remember writing them. And uh, they're, <laughs> you know, they're just, I read them, and it's it just, wow, who wrote this? You did. Oh, <laughs> forgotten all about it. But are you a, technol a, a tech junkie? Are you a geek? All, it seems like everybody in my family is. My, my boys are. My youngest one, not so much. But the two older ones, good Lord, they, they forget it. My, my son-in-law is. Um, my older girls are. They know more about this stuff than I, uh, than I ever do, that's for sure. If I need help, I, I call my son-in-law or I call one of my older boys, and they, they sort it out in no time. I have no idea what they're doing. But it gets to a point, I guess it's like going from a horse and buggy to a car. You might not, when you're with the horse and buggy, you wonder why, what's the big deal about cars. I mean, you know, the, the old gray mare and the trusty old wagon worked fine for years. Why wouldn't it keep working? And you forget that, or you don't realize, if you, you don't miss what you've never had, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. Then somebody gives you your first car. And you get into that thing and go, holy cow. Not only can I get from point A to point B in like, you know, a tenth of the time, but I don't have to freeze to death doing it. And technology takes hold of you, and a year or two later, you can't imagine going back to the way things used to be. You just can't. So I'm just curious, are you a techno junkie, a techno geek? I guess I hate to say it, but I'm becoming one. I, there's a lot of things I, I, I enjoy. Uh, I've got a couple video games I play. One is called Skyrim or Elder Scrolls V. I just love that. That's a... I've got almost 1,300 hours on that game, uh, which tells, I should, shouldn't mention that, because my wife will say, well, gee, if you got all that time, you could be doing this and that and this and that. Uh, most of that time was while I was in town, and I couldn't be working outside. And the other game I play is World of Warships. I just love that, too, for obvious reasons. Anyway, so that's it. We have St. Patrick's Day coming up uh, this weekend. I think it's Friday. So we're going to try and gather as many of our chicklets at home and just have a good old-fashioned kitchen party. Uh, and it, what's funny is the traditional Irish saying that everybody seems to think is Irish, uh, top of the morning to you, most Irishmen say we never say that. So I'm not going to say that, but I am going to say Happy St. Patrick's Day. I certainly look forward to uh, uh, having a, a little bit of a celebration on the day that the whole world turns Irish. Uh, coming up this weekend uh, on Friday night, we'll have a, a bit of a kitchen party because we'll just get together and sing the, all those old Irish tunes and sea shanties and that kind of stuff until we can't talk. Uh, and we'll be back again next week. 
So with that said, I do believe it is almost time. I've got another minute or two yet before we have to sign off. But le So let me conclude with this. Because of St. Patrick's Day, of all the people in the world, there are, there are some that have been more per persecuted than the Irish, but I've, there aren't many. And yet, through it all, much like the people from Newfoundland, and when I call them Newfies, I do so with, uh, with affection. I love Newfoundland. I love, the, I love the people there. It's a beautiful place. If you ever want to go on a vacation, go to Newfoundland. I can't tell you how much I, I just highly recommend it. It's a beautiful place. Uh, the scenery is spectacular. The people are amazing. The fishing is unbelievable. If you want to see wildlife, and just go to St. John, John's on Water Street. Oh, no, no, no. I mean, t take a drive across the island. <laughs> 101 bars on Water Street. If you do a pub crawl, you better have a lot of time and a lot of money. That's all I got to say about that. Anyway, they are an amazing group of people. They have been uh, persecuted and put down and just abused through almost all of their history, almost back to the ro days of the Romans. And yet, through it all, uh, they've managed to keep a sense of humor and uh, an ability to laugh that exceeds, I think, almost anybody. Just listen to their music. It's either about somebody dying, somebody getting married, like Finnegan's Wake is a classic example. Um, uh, what's that name of that one? Uh, oh, God, there's millions of Irish tunes. There's one, uh, Star of the County Down, about a young man getting married, falling in love with, uh, with a young brunette with big brown eyes and, uh, you know, wants to marry her and all that kind of stuff. To tragedies like uh, Fields of Athen Rye, one of the most beautiful songs ever written. Just They just have it, a way of expressing themselves that I think the rest of us could learn from. So, um, happy St. Patrick's Day. I look forward to seeing you all again real soon. So, in the meantime, we'll sign off saying, Ubi Keritas Hedemor, Dea Sibiest. Good evening. God bless. Don't let anything disturb your peace. And may you have a fair wind and a following sea. Of all the money that e'er I had, I spent it in good company. And all the harm I've ever done, alas, it was to none but me. And all I've done for want of wit to memory now I can't recall. So fill to me the parting glass. Good night and joy be to you all. So fill to me the parting glass and drink a health whatever befalls. Then gently rise and softly call. Good night and joy be to you all. Of all the comrades that e'er I had, they're sorry for my going away. And all the sweethearts that e'er I had, they'd wish me one more day to stay. 
Let's see.